Hello folks, welcome back. This is Simon Ward and I'm your host for the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast. So firstly, this podcast, my website and all of my regular newsletters focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance as I try to interpret the science and then translate it into easy to understand lessons. If you enjoy the podcast, you might like to know that I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performances to the next level. Now on the podcast this week, it's a real pleasure to have on as a guest my longtime friend Colin McNeil. Colin and I have known each other for around 20 years, starting out with me being his coach and then becoming more of a friendship over the years. During that time, I have observed and helped Colin through several stages of his life, some joyful, some not so. And throughout this, I've seen Colin develop into what I call a high performance human. And this is what we're going to chat about today, starting with his triathlon career, the mistakes he made along the way, then about how children changed his life routine and perspective. We'll also talk about building a business based around passion and focusing his daily habits on longevity and health rather than getting faster. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to one of my best friends. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Mr. Colin McNeil. Hello, Simon. So this will save us having our phone call today, won't it, Col? Because we speak probably <laughs> more to each other than we do to our wives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. On, yeah. on the phone, that is. You know, obviously we speak to them when we're at home, but my uh, my wife Beth says that you're my second wife. No, she she's pushed me out since um, since you two have got married. We used to speak every day, and now it's not quite as much as every day. So no, no, it isn't. But it's usually it's usually while I'm on the way to the pool, or you're on the way to or from school, isn't it? So it's these sort of opportunities that we get to chat when we're not doing anything else. We're in the car, Alan. It's dead time. Yeah. Anyway, it's, hopefully it's a clearer it's a clearer line today, and uh, we can talk about other stuff. Other than just how you're doing, how's your training doing? But um, so for, for folks who don't know, Colin is the owner and founder of Race Skin. And if you are an outlaw um, fan or an outlaw triathlete and you've been to any of our races in the last few years, you can't fail to have seen Colin's big Race Skin uh, tent there, his marquee with all the outlaw merchandise. Um, Colin also uh, and Race Skin also make a lot of custom kit for cycling clubs and triathlon clubs and. Um, Anything beyond that now, Cole? Is are they, are they most well, we do all the official outlaw merchandise as well? So okay, uh, but but most <laughs> of your customers are they are they cycling clubs and triathlon clubs? Yeah, I would say the majority of people would know us from doing custom um, kit for chai clubs and um, mm-hmm. swim and cycle clubs. Yeah. Okay, let's tell everybody how how long we've known each other because that'll sort of give everybody a, a, a bit of an insight into why we're having this conversation and our history. And I was thinking else. about it the other day and thinking, when did I first meet you? I remember coming to Leeds to, I wanted a coach, and um, I think it was around 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. um, so nearly 20 years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's an anniversary to celebrate soon, Cole. We better, we better firm up on that date, haven't we? <laughs> 20 years yeah we both still look yeah. as good as we did then maybe better now I think I might have one or two more grey hairs <laughs> you've got one or two more tattoos than you used to have that's for sure uh, I do yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't have and, and, and one or two more children than you had when I first met you <laughs> <laughs> yes three more 
So, um, so we met in 2003. You were looking for a coach. So that was the start of the journey. You had a design business then, didn't you? So it wasn't it wasn't to do with triathlon, really. You were doing um, magazines, publishing magazines, um, like advertising um, magazines. We were sort of running the design side of the business. So um, I was trying to think. We were building websites back then. Uh, probably, yes, we were. And um, doing design for companies and um, sort of brochures and annual mm. reports and all that sort of thing. And I was running that side of the business. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was got into triathlon. We decided to do our our first triathlon, which is a little sprint triathlon down in Lincoln. And then after that, started thinking bigger races and I need a coach for this. So mm-hmm. um, I uh, did a, did some research on what coach you might need and your name cropped up. So uh, I came for a little... <laughs> I thought I was coming to interview you and it actually turned out the other way around. Mm-hmm. That's how uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sat down with you and you were like, right, so what's your goals? And you were asking me all these questions and I was thinking, oh, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to take me on here. And did you did you know what your goals were then? I can't remember. Did you? I know you, you were... I, did, yes. I, I wanted to uh, complete a, an Ironman. I think that's why I was looking for a a coach at that point and you'd you'd been coaching Ironman and um, so we, we discussed that in a, outside a little cafe in Leeds so mm. that was our first meeting always like to meet up at the coffee shop <laughs> we've continued that one haven't we occasionally I can even tell you what sandwiches we had you know that's how much I remember <laughs> did we have a little selfie on that first date I don't think we did no <laughs> if only knew then what bromance it was going to grow into yeah yeah, yeah. All the all the highs and lows and the ups and downs. Well, you did, you did Ironman. You did half uh, distance, seventy point three. Very successful, didn't you? You qualified to go to Clearwater um, at least once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, I went out to race in um, California and did the Vineman seventy point three, and that's where I qualified there for. For Clearwater, it was the first year. It was uh, it was running. Everyone was like, "Oh, what's this this new mm-hmm. uh, distance Ironman have come up with? It's uh, it's half the Ironman distance." And uh, they've seventy point three, wasn't it? Yeah, seventy point three, and they've uh, they've got this uh, new World Championships for it. And I was like, "All oh, right, I'm going to go and try and qualify for this." So I went out to Ironman and um, did that race, qualified there, then mm-hmm. went to Clearwater, and um, same that same year. Back when I had money and I could do, do multiple holidays and multiple do, races. And... Do you remember what happened when we were in Clearwater? Because I, I got a chance to, I think Fliss and Dion were racing there, weren't they, at the same time? And was Toby racing as well? Uh, Toby maybe, was. Maybe Fliss, wasn't, maybe Fliss wasn't racing. I think um, Dion was racing, though, and Toby was racing. Uh, Toby definitely was. Um, I don't remember Dion racing there either that year. There was a few of us though. There was me. There was more than you and Toby because we did some stuff on the beach, didn't we? Yeah. The day before the race, we did. Yeah. You had us doing dolphin start running in and out of the sea and dolphin starts, so sort of uh, jumping up over the waves and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, the day before the race, the the waves were absolutely huge. We, we uh, swam, didn't we? We swam. There's a pier there, isn't it? It's a big, long pier at Clearwater. Yeah. Um, we, I think we swam out by the pier. Um, and you're right, the waves were huge. So you, we, we were, everybody was getting a bit of a battering, weren't they? 
I remember falling down the other side of the wave and trying to take a stroke and then you just sort of fell into fresh air and, and down the other side of the wave and it was like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare on race morning. And then I woke up race morning and it was totally like a mill pond. But so, didn't, didn't you break your toe coming out of the water? I did, Simon, yes. I mean, you can't blame, that's not my fault. I didn't break your toe. You stubbed your foot on the sand. Yeah, we were doing some stuff, but you could have done that any time. But I just yeah. I just remember you saying, oh, I caught my foot then. Um it's totally then, black. Well, we uh, met you a bit later on, didn't we? You were you were having lunch with your mum and dad and Jill, and me and Toby were walking along, and you were saying, "Simon, I've hurt my foot," and you showed me your big toe, and it was black, like the whole toe was black. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> at that point I was a bit worried for the race the next day, but it's all right. I got through. Yeah, well, I I, I remember saying to Toby as we walked back to the hotel, "I don't know how Tom, I, I don't know how Colin's going to run with a broken toe." Um, yeah, so. Fair play to you. Toughed it out. I don't even remember feeling it, I've got to say. You know, after oh. that, that day, it was really sore, and then during the race day, I just, just got on, and you know, I don't remember feeling it. But. Well, well, Dion had a similar injury before Ironman South Africa one year, and that was what wrecked his Achilles because of the way he was having to favour his foot and run on the outside of his foot. It really um, caused him Achilles tendonitis, and I don't think he ever really recovered from that. Um, so uh, you were probably quite lucky. Um, with, just to get away with a broken toe. <laughs> I think adrenaline got me through. Well, maybe, maybe it did. You can do amazing things, can't you? But even then, starting off is painful, isn't it? When you when you push off, you forget. Yeah. Um, I remember starting at the start of that race and thinking, right, I'll start right at the front. I'll uh, I'll get a good good swim start. Now, because you're not I'm a bad not, swimmer, are you? You're not a bad right. swimmer. I'm, I'm all right swimmer, but I, I'm not. I'm not at the front, you know, I'm not the front pack swimmer. Mm-hmm. So, but for whatever reason, in my mind, I was thinking, right, clear what a world championships <laughs> without thinking these are like some of the world's best swimmers here as well. But uh, I'll start right at the front and then and remember running into the sea. And then it was just like being in a washing machine and I was going round and round and round and all these bodies just going over the top of me. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that was a learning experience. Yeah, well, everybody's everybody's a little bit faster, and the, the, there's a lot more people that are just the same speed as you, aren't they? Um, so you, even when you even when you think you've got a bit of space, you come out of the water and get into transition, then you get on the bike, and it's just crowds of people cycling. I mean, it was so flat, it's flat clear water, isn't it? So it was just mm. uh, yeah, yeah. My my rec- I think we were doing some compu trainer stuff then. Uh, yeah, and and I think Kevin and Kevin, who was the cameraman, and I drove a car around. And um, we had the, we had to ride the car, drive the car along about two minutes in front of the bike, the main bike, you know, leaders, and all of the uh, um, all of the junctions were manned by police officers, and they were all saluting as we went past, and uh, you know, standing to attention and waving us through because we'd got official cars on the thing, um, and then we got. I remember going, and I just remember going down this six lane highway. And there was absolutely nothing on it. It was empty. It was like a scene out of an apocalypse movie, you know, where everybody's just gone. And there was just us. And it, I, I remember thinking, God, it's, it must be weird for cyclists to ride down here. It'd be like riding down, having the whole of the M1 to ride down, you know, with it being empty for from for, for 10 or 15 miles. Anyway, do, yes, do, you, do you remember that? I sort of do remember. Um I remember there being nothing on our side of the road. I remember cars. I remember seeing cars. It was all coned off and seeing cars on the other side of the road. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – I suppose that was a bit 
weird back then, roads being totally closed. But, mm. uh, the one that I remember the most is is uh, here in Yorkshire, where the roads are never closed. Obviously, in a race now, where Ironman races, they, they tend to be closed. So, mm-hmm. um, But when the Tour de France came here, and then the roads were closed all day, we were just like, this is... I've never seen these roads ever closed. And so mm-hmm. yeah. we were taking the opportunity to ride on the other side of the road and... <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's a long time ago as well, isn't it? Twenty fourteen. Um, let's let's go back to your triathlon exploits then. So you did. Um, had you done any Ironman races up to that point when you qualify for Clearwater, or did that come afterwards? Um, I can't. My first Ironman race was Ironman Germany, and I think that was around um, two thousand and seven. Mm. So no, I wouldn't have done. I'd just done halves up to that point. I can remember, yeah, you went to Ironman Australia. I remember that one, West Australia. Yeah, I think that was uh, 2008. I went to Western Australia, December 2008, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It was Germany, and then I think, did I do, I did Florida in 2008, and I did uh, Western Australia as well. Mm -hmm. Because that's where where I did Florida, and um, I'd got about, 20 to 25 minutes quicker at Florida than I'd done over Germany. And then once I get to Australia, that's when I was thinking, oh, right, I'm going to shave a load more time off another half an hour. Mm-hmm. I remember us having a conversation about that and going, yeah, you know. I'll, uh, I can remember. Didn't we sit 10 down 30, at the pool? I'm going for 10 30. We, we sat down at the pool, didn't we? At the international, uh, at, was it John Charles? We sat down there after training and had a coffee. And you said to me, right, Si gonna knock half an hour off my pb and i remember you saying i saw the look on your face like a bit of surprise and like oh really <laughs> yeah you were trying to give me a a reality bomb thing and then i was like no no if i'll be great you know i'll be, I'll be loads quicker so but you uh, had it no i mean i'm not wanting to highlight mistakes because and or or pick you out on this one because this is something that a lot of people do do and for whom it happens to but there was a classic error wasn't there in that race that uh, two or three classic errors actually um that other people might recognize can do you remember those those yeah um in that particular race we are talking about western australia yes yeah yes i do yeah so i'd trained for months on using power Mm -hmm. and um day before the race gone out done a little practice ride everything was fine um and then uh when i set off on the in the race the uh the power meter stopped working and yeah but do you remember do you remember before then though you, you um you had all you had your sights set on a on a, a particular swim target didn't you i remember and i think and i think you came out of the water before you got your garmin problem you came out of the water and you you looked at the watch and you were really disappointed. Yeah, um, and and I think from memory it set you off on a downer until you you were riding alongside some other bloke saying, "Oh, my swim was really slow," and he said, "My swim was really slow." And then I think everybody came to the realization that the course either there'd been a strong tide or the course was long. Well, it was even more of a rookie error um, before that because the wetsuit that I took, um, I. Packed my wetsuit and then during the practice swim a couple of days before and got it out and thought right and where have my sleeves gone? Now back then I had a long john wetsuit and mm-hmm. a normal wetsuit with sleeves and I'd packed the wrong wetsuit. 
Oh. Just grabbed. <laughs> I, I didn't even notice that. I grabbed one out of the cupboard or it was rolled up and put it in a bag and just uh, went. So, you know, not checking my equipment properly before I went. So, mm. Um, mm. and I got out of the water cold as well. And you think, Western, you know, you think Australia. I mean, that yeah. day it was five degrees later on that day, but first thing in the morning, when you get out of the the water and you're in the, one of the long john with with uh, without the sleeves, mm-hmm. uh, I was sh- I was shivering, and so I looked at my watch and uh, I was slower on the swim, and my mind had gone. I don't believe it. I'm behind already, and started beating myself up about that. And then I st- and then I got on the bike, and I I almost had uncontrollable shakes. I was that cold for the first twenty minutes, and then my power meter stopped. <laughs> so it was like this. Uh, total storm and I was just like everything's against me everyone's the you know I'm having all these things and, and in reality if any of those things happen now all this time later it just you know none of that had phased me anymore but um mm-hmm. back then when all, all I was interested in was setting the fastest time that I possibly could then I was thinking yeah, but you did, you did, goals you, were against me you did have a good run as far as I can recall I think did did you know you uh, at one point you threw all the toys out of the cot didn't you yeah I was going to say that's it that's it you know I knew at that point I wasn't going to break the PB and at that point I just went that's it I'm walking for you know I'm walking through this aid station and um and then I walked for a little while and then carried on running and when I got back I then realized I could have even though I didn't break the um, the overall race PB, I could have broken my run PB had I not at that mm. point put my toys out of the pram. So I could have, if I'd just carried on, I, you know. Yeah. But, and, and as I say, listeners, I'm, I'm not trying to do this to embarrass Colin. I think Colin and I know each other well enough now and, and have known each other long enough to know that, um, that the real reason for this is that these, these are areas that a lot of people commit. You know, they... they Either because of a, a lack of planning or just just bravado or whatever, and th- they're things that are worth learning from. And for people like Colin, who's been doing triathlon for twenty odd years, it's you know it's a lesson that's worth learning for everybody to just even if you've done lots of triathlons to check your kit, to have a robust plan, to know that just because things start off seeming like they're not going to go in your way, it's a long day out there and things can change. Um, and like you say, Colin, you've I think you've probably learned that now, and you're a bit more relaxed, aren't you, when you go to events? Oh, yeah, I don't get so tightly wound up about, um, you know, whether I'm a minute behind or, uh, mm. um, like you said, I check equipment. I just am way more relaxed now about a race. And I suppose mm. I've got all that much more experience now about doing things if uh, mm. I was going than I did then. So, Would you say? And all those little mistakes are quite good because hopefully you learn from them. Mm-hmm. You take the things that I was speaking to someone at Outlaw last weekend, and and uh, so it was his first half distance, and he was very nervous and sort of chatting to me. And I just said, Well, everything that goes right, take that on next time because things there'll be some things that will go wrong, and then obviously discard them, learn from those, uh, those mistakes. So, you know, it's like everything in life, you sort of make mistakes and then. Try not to do it again, don't you? Learn how not to do it. Yeah, well, I, I often, particularly doing something like a, an iron distance race, it's a metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, things can feel like they're against you, but then they can change around very suddenly. And, and in the same way, things can feel like they're all going your way. And then, you know, over a few minutes, it can all start to slip, fall apart and uh, become quite disastrous. 
well, you, you never know. You could get a puncture at any minute, or, you know. Especially iron distance racing, it's uh, you know you don't know right to the right to the end, do you? That either wheel's going to fall off, or um, you know, mm. the, such a long distance to uh, to keep going mechanically and physically. Mm. Well, you, would you say that you were quite intense with your training and your performances back then when you started? Yeah, I and was. Your, and your approach to everything, yeah. I was, was sort of um, super focused and didn't ever want to miss a session and um, all I thought about was the time and not the, you know, not what an amazing place in the world that I was. I wouldn't even been taken in really that, uh, you know, Western Australia is just, amazing you know an amazing place to race and all I could think about was time 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 so we went uh, to uh, sorry these days days I'm not like that I went to race in San Francisco last year and did the skate from Alcatraz it it rained on the day and it didn't phase me Um, Mm -hmm. I had a mechanical where I could not change up into my big gear didn't phase me I just like it was like what do you do I've got no choice just crack on so um and then I was running down the beach and the sea was coming into me left hand side and right in front of me was golden just before you get to the sand steps and right in front of me was golden gate bridge and I sort of looked around at where I was and I was like this is like came here to race this so take it in and um you know, before I wouldn't have been bothered. I'd just been like, "There's a bridge. Just get them steps as quick as you can." Seen one bridge, seen them all. <laughs> um, back then you didn't have any children. Um, no. Nope. And then, and then Noah came into your life, um, and that 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 created a big change, didn't it? In a whole many ways, different perspective, you know. Um, and. <sighs> I'm I'm interested just to explore that in terms of how that affected how you view everything in terms of as well as sort of focus on you know that intense focus on triathlon. Well, I suppose that's part. Of it. Yeah, that I mean that's a, a massive reason why I do. Um, I suppose have that same focus or the same outlook that I did then when Jill was pregnant. I don't I remember. We were we'd gone out to Lanzarote and done a training camp out there. And I was due to race Lanzarote, and then we found out that she, she was pregnant, and she was due on race day. And I was trying to, I was like, oh, maybe I could go, and I'll just fly out on the Friday, it'll be all right. I'll, I'll fly out the day before, I'll register, and yeah, I'll come home. No one's ever due on race day. Uh, sorry, no one's ever, you know, the, the baby's never really come on when, when they say it's, uh, it's a due date. So <laughs> it'll be all right, that's how... <laughs> intense I was about it I was thinking oh I don't really want to miss the birth but yeah I don't want to miss this race either so um, yeah and then it didn't quite pan out that way um, Noah came two months early and uh, there was quite a lot of complications to say the least um, he was rushed off as an emergency cesarean and he was rushed off into ICU and our lives were changed from that moment um, we then spent the next 10 months in hospital um, and the first couple of months I was still thinking that I could get out to Lanzarote and mm. um, I was training around the hospital doing what I could and trying to run around the hospital at first the first few weeks and and then after a while I started to get a realisation that it just wasn't going to get better in a, in a 
few weeks and the race had uh, that was it it was over so uh, yeah. yes um and then we just had test after that doctors didn't know what was wrong and we had test after test for um different things and eventually did a lung biopsy and found out he had a really rare lung disease he was sort of the 18th person in the world to ever have this um wow. so um yeah it, things changed then um then mm. he had a he just kept he wasn't able to breathe properly and kept crashing out and uh, nearly died several times and um they ended up putting a, a tracheostomy in and then saying that he'd be on a ventilator where we need him to be on breathing um well basically a life support machine mm-hmm. and he's he's on a ventilator um even now still 12 years later so mm. yeah but but, but it's, i can remember that i can remember chatting it to you most days and you know thinking god it must feel like you're in a tunnel and it's just never going to get bright at the end of it um but here he is still 12 years later He's a nice kid, isn't he? No, he enjoys all the things that everybody else does. You know, he enjoys his football and his sport. And, um, but it, well, um, I've got two other, and I don't ever like using the word normal, but I've got two other children that, um, mm-hmm. that don't have any any complex needs and normal. Um, and my other son's not interested in football at all, not really interested in sport. No, it's sport married they sit and watch triathlon and watch the tour de france and uh sit watching football and mm-hmm. yeah he's my little go-to sport buddy mm-hmm. yeah but that that does bring um uh, does bring a different perspective on life doesn't it i mean i don't have children but i have lots of clients who have children and i know for those who you know that when i start working with them they don't have kids and then children come along it it, it changes their perspective it changes the amount of time that they can um, devote to doing this sport. And triathlon is quite a time-consuming sport, isn't it? And um, all of a sudden, there's something and somebody, a little thing that needs you, um, that's going to eat into your time and also in, impact on your sleep and um, your stress levels and everything else. So, how did you uh, how did you manage that in terms of um, training for races or? Um, in terms of the races that you decided you were going to enter? Um, I, how did I manage that? I, uh, very differently. Um, I've got to say Jill's an angel and um, lets me go and train. It, it never has a, an issue where she's saying, you can't go out on your bike today or you can't go swimming. It, it, I was up and gone this morning at six o'clock to go to the pool. Uh, she sort of looks after the kids while I'm doing that. Um, I've got a very understanding partner that allows me to train, knows that it's something that I love doing. But um, I had to refocus on the sort of times, uh, types of races that I was doing, especially at first, so long distance, really. Um, when I say long distance, outlaw distance or Ironman distance races were um, not something that I could do, especially for the first couple of years. Um, and in fact, I'm trying to think how many full distance races I've done since he's been born. I think maybe only Roth since. Mm. Um, because, and even, <laughs> and even then when I went to Rothy and it ended up being back in hospital, it, it sort oh, of had right. an emergency. Yeah. And the night before the race, I was thinking I'm going to have to fly home here. Oh. And 
so I've had that whole conversation and Jill was like, no, don't, don't come back. There's nothing you can do. So um, it wasn't the ideal preparation to go into Roth. But um, yeah, you just, you just, just adjust, I suppose, like any parent, you know, um, of any child, you have to find different ways around um, training, especially in the little, because they need require much more one-to-one care and um, when they get a little bit older then um, it's it's a bit easier to take them along to things and um, well they get a little bit older but then you have another one (laughs) just to just add to your stress you have another one and another one yeah I've created a little uh, family now that uh, once you have one I mean that's it's already impacted Noah couldn't uh, you know the others can't impact it any more than we're impacted by Noah so Mm-hmm. You know, if we've got one child and you're leaving to go swimming, then having two or three, is, uh, yeah, I know. it's the same. Mm-hmm. Same, same. So, I just imagine all the listeners with the children. All the listeners with children are probably nodding along now and thinking about all the challenges that they've had. Um, did Did you find that having children affected your sleep, or was Jill such an angel that she would she would be the one to get up in the middle of the night? Oh no, it massively affects it. Um, yeah, uh, especially Oscar, because he didn't sleep for the first few months. Uh, I just remember walking around the room, and uh, we talk about it sometimes now, and sort of in my arms, jiggling him around at uh, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, trying to get him to go to sleep. But, um, uh, yes, there was quite a few tired sessions then. You just have to sort of adjust to that. And, and if you've had no sleep at all, then you're supposed to have a hard bike ride the next day maybe it's not quite as hard a bike ride that you're going to do or quite as hard a run and maybe mm. try and uh, try and adjust so, so you uh so you i always have this notion of folks that do triathlon are spinning lots of plates and trying to sort of not let them crash and uh so you, you had to obviously had your business and there was there was you and jill and so you you only had two or three plates to spin and you could do that quite successfully and then along came noah and then along came oscar and then along came, remind me, Lou, 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 along came yeah. Lou. So you know now you've got three more plates to spin, and then you decided to start a new business as well. <laughs> yeah, well, probably after Oscar was born, we decided. I'd already decided. I remember out in Western Australia, and you and I were speaking about. I wasn't feeling super fulfilled in the business that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like I was serving people the way that I wanted it to and uh, making a difference. Um, Noah came along and uh, things had to change. And uh, for both Jill and I, we wanted something that was more flexible, uh, something that we enjoyed doing more. We realised life was too short. um, And so we decided to, I'd already had the thought of, starting a cycling brand clothing uh, company. Um, I've been disappointed with going riding for clubs and teams and, and the the kit that they were buying only seemed to be on price. And was, at, at that time, I was riding around in uh, brands like Assos and I was sort of wearing their shorts with really nice technical shorts and uh, I couldn't understand why clubs, there was no offering to clubs that were mm. technical. It just seemed to be wacky logo on some cheap shorts. And the minute that I went out and did a two or three hour ride in them, 
I just mm. never wanted to ride him again. I just put him in a drawer and I won't ride him club shorts I just went back to the kit I was wearing before so like there has to be a different way of doing this um and so I started looking um looking for factories I could work with that um I could then test the kit and um yeah that's how it that's how that whole thing started really so yeah the sort the sort of kit that you wear it either in the rain or in the heat and you take it off and you've still got some of the dye left on your back or on your (laughs) on your legs everything's a bit blue or or red yeah Um, things these days actually are are, are better all round but um yeah but it also needed i mean it needed um assos was sort of or castelli was italian or swiss wasn't it so um it was like a an exotic foreign brand. Uh, we didn't really have anything in the UK until Rafa came along and sort of started then, um, you know, sending you sending you a pair of shorts in this lovely, lovely crafted box with the tissue paper inside it and a, and a gift card and a note from the person who packed it. And I remember buying my first pair of Rafa shorts, and this was before you started. Um, but they have that they had one of those little silver, like a tiny little Airstream van. Um, I think, or maybe it was like a French, maybe it was like a French, like a little French grocery van um, at, a, at an event that I did in Ilkley. And one of my friends had got a pair and he said, these are Rafa shorts, are brilliant. I went along and thought, I'm going to get a pair of those. And then I, I pretty much gone down the guide room to wrap them up. And I said, how much said he went? 150 pounds and then he passed out. Yeah. <laughs> 150 pounds for a pair of shorts. But they, they were so comfortable and they lasted me about three or four years and I wore them all the time and they were, you know, there was a bit of stitching that started to go, but the quality was great. And so, you know, per ride, it was probably costing me about 20p, but at the time, £150 for a pair of shorts. Um, but you, you've... That was pretty you know, unheard of back then though, wasn't it? You know, when they first yeah. started out, it was just like, there's a company started and they're charging three times the amount that everyone else is charging and uh, and look at them yeah. now. Yeah, but I mean, and if you look at, but if you look at the sort of people that they'd identified as their target market, it was the the mammals, the middle aged men in lycra that were buying Pinarello bikes and top end Cervellos and dropping probably at that time dropping three or four grand on a bike, which is probably nothing now. But um, but back then that was an awful lot of money. But these these folks that they were aiming at weren't money wasn't an object for them, was it? And I I can remember one chap coming on a training camp that we had in Lanzarote. And he, t- he had the Rafa Pro kit, and every morning he came out to ride in a different version. So, you know, it had one of them had a pink stripe on the arm and on the leg, and then the next day it'd have a yellow stripe and then a blue stripe. And he had, and he would basically, uh, uh, the other lads that were sharing his apartment were saying, Oh, yeah, he, he's just undoing it out of the, the wrapping and putting it on fresh out of the box every morning. And, and, but that kit was probably 250 quid per yeah. shorts for a shorts and a, and a shirt. So he, he's, you know, he's brought out over a thousand pounds worth of new kit to wear, but it, but but that was their customer base, wasn't it? And they identified it very well. And uh, um, things have changed a lot since then. And, and happily now, with with race skin, you can get that sort of quality uh, without that sort of price tag. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, you, I think you can anyway. I um, yeah. Well, I can't. You know, clearly, I can't. Um... <laughs> Can I say, can I really? It, uh, comparing that, I, I, I did have a pair of Rafa shorts um, that I, I wore, and I thought, if anybody sees me wearing these uh, a couple of years ago, and I thought, I'm just going to wear these now because I used to love those shorts, and I wore them 
to work one day and I ride into work and thought, I'll just wear them and see what they feel like. I was like, oh, I don't like the pad and I don't like this. And they used to be shorts that I absolutely loved, but um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you've got to do, do you not have to do that sort of market research by wearing other products to see, to see what they're like and to think, right, I like this feature on here. Um, I don't really like that feature. This is something we might be able to incorporate into our kit, but maybe do it slightly differently. Surely, surely trying out other brands and other types of products is is all part of how you improve on what you offer. Um, well, I, I, to be honest, I, I do go and get the other people's brands and start um, looking at it. I'm more sort of work with the factory and work with the athletes that I've got and try and improve what we have. Um, that just because I had a pair in my cupboard I thought oh I wonder what these are like and it was more a curiosity thing mm-hmm. and um I sort of fully expect I could remember how much I, I loved them and I thought oh, I just wonder what they're like but I was thinking if anybody sees me in these shorts now that's not going to look good is it <laughs> and uh, I put them on but um yeah constant um development and R&D is something that that we do throughout the year yeah um there's always something going on. I went down to the pool the other day in a swim skin. We don't currently do swim skins, but I'm testing, testing that, you know, you, you are constantly testing or giving athletes things to test and go, can you try and try this and give me some feedback or, um, yeah. And speaking to factories about the latest fabrics and what, you know, what developments there are and, and that sort of thing. So. What, what did you, what did you start off with? What was your first offering way back at the beginning? Um, for clubs, we um, we did uh, triathlon suits and cycle jerseys and you know pretty much anything um, cycling. The main things are sort of cycle jerseys, run run vessel, run t shirts, and and tri suits. That was uh, really where the majority of things that people order back then. It's just you know we can order we can actually offer any anything that you can. You can print on cycle wise or, or triathlon or run wise, but um, those are still the the main things that people order. You know, the jersey, the shorts, a tri suit, a jacket, or a long sleeve type top, mm-hmm. and sort of things. But um, yeah, typically, think- then do do clubs come along to you with with your desi- with their design already already thought up and um, sketched out or do they come along to you and say, we've got no idea, we want some kit, design something for us, or is it a mixture of both? It's a total mixture of both. Some people come and have no clue what they want. Maybe, go, you know, it might be a group of friends that are going to think, all oh, right, we're going to do uh, the, the Pyrenees, we're going to go and ride together, or we're going out to Mallorca and I want um, to design some kit so we look like a team. No clue other than I like blue or I like blue and I like stars. Uh, impress me. And you're like, um, <laughs> okay, that, that's quite a big, you know, quite an open-ended brief. And, and other clubs have, have had a kit that's been established for years and years and come and say, here's how it looks on our current kit. Um, and I need it to be as close to that on your pattern as possible. So, you know, can work with that. We have in-house design and... Um, you know, I like to suggest ideas anyway. So, um, uh, even if somebody came and said, "This is the design," sometimes you know we might see a, a better way of doing it. 
or something else that they've not thought of and give them an, an alternative. And sometimes you go with it, other times they're like, no, I just wanted it as I wanted it. So, yes. Okay. So tell me, tell me what your dream customer, uh, obviously, I don't want you to name names, but um, the, the dream customer rings up and says, and then tell me how that goes, and then tell me what the exact opposite that is the 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 worst case scenario of, of things that have you pulling the air out. Um, the dream customer saw, uh, kind of knows. Uh, uh, someone contacted me uh, last week and kind of knew they've got a, a good idea of what they want in the in the mind. Um, so uh, he wanted green polka dots on a on a cream coloured top and. Um, uh, he knew all the items that he wanted, and then he wanted to reverse this. You know, they, they come with a brief basically and sort of say, Here's what I'm looking for. Um, I'm quite happy for you to suggest within that. I, I quite like that so that we can put our suggestions to them. Um, but it's quite a tight brief. It's not that a nightmare customer is a really open ended brief. So they, they come and say, I've no clue what I want. I want a cycle jersey, but I've no clue what I want on it. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know what colours I like. Well, that's probably a lie for a start off because I said, "What about brown and cream?" Or what about uh, you know? They go, "Oh no, I don't like that." Well, okay, you've narrowed that down a bit. But um, yeah, the more open it, I think people think that they're doing you a favour if they say, "I don't really know what I want," but it it makes it so if you don't know what you want. How are we gonna where where are we gonna start? Because there's two hundred colours and all these different shapes, and it, it, you know it, it, the tighter it is, the better. Not too tight, so it's so restricted um, that we've got nowhere to go. But um, yeah, at least if there's a brief where we're starting with colours and shapes, or I want mm-hmm. to use this logo, or we've got a company logo, and um, I want you to use the colours out of our logo. That, that sort of thing is much better than just um, they don't really know what they want. And and at the opposite end, your absolute nightmare is somebody who's got no idea what they want and needs it next week. Yeah, that's a total nightmare. It's, well, if they need it next week, I'm probably just going to say, oh, yeah, we can't do it. it, it that, that naivety of saying, right, I'm going. Um, I suppose people don't really know how long it takes to produce things. So it's, it, but. You know, I've got an event in two weeks' time, and um, I want you to do all this kit for mm-hmm. them. And, and I want to train in it for a week beforehand, so I need it for this weekend. And I literally have people ring me on a Monday and expect that it's going to be ready for Friday. Mm. And we've got no design done at this point. So we're going to do design over a couple of days and get that all right and get it to be signed off by a committee or a board. And I mean, clubs have got to say, I've usually ordered kit before, so they're not like that. It's generally a, a group of friends or someone for a birthday present, you know, come in and say, you know, I want to order a, a leaving present or a birthday present for someone. And it's his birthday in three days. Can you uh, sort me out a totally custom design <laughs> and get it made for me for three days time? And it's, no, that's not possible. Mm. But I mean, you know, if we're talking about when, a, you know, because I guess there could be some people that, that order kit for clubs that are listening to this podcast. Yep. Um, roughly from when they first approach you to when the kit comes out, what 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 sort of time should they be giving themselves? Three months or do they need a bit longer? Yeah. 
generally, production time uh, is pretty stable year round. Um, so even in the busiest periods, I, I allow four weeks for production, um, and then a week for shipping. Um, that's that's a good rule of thumb there. Five weeks. I mean, I can get it done quicker, but if I start saying that right at the start, and um, people then come back, I've had um, somebody come back. In the, in the last uh, couple of weeks and say, well, last last year you managed to do this in two weeks, so can you do it again? Like, no, we expressed, delivered it under <laughs> under extreme circumstances, but I can't yeah. just keep doing that every time because um, shoving your kit in front of somebody else's there. And, um, but yeah, for, four weeks production and um, a, week, a week for shipping, so that's... Uh, mm. That's what I'd work to. And if we've got no design, that's no design to start with, maybe a, a week for design. It depends on whether we're dealing with the committee and they only meet every few weeks. And it's mm. you know, who's the decision maker. I'd speak at the start about that, who, who, who's making the decisions on the design as to how long that's likely to take as well. But once we've got the design signed off, I mean, we've got in-house design. So Generally, I can turn designs around within 24 to 48 hours of somebody speaking to me, even when we're busy. So, and um, it, it, you know, when I'm working at the Outlaw, doing my race announcing and standing on the finish line, it seems to me like there's a fair proportion of your kit that comes across the line on the on the shoulders and backs of uh, a lot of athletes. Yeah. Um, I, now, granted, a lot of those people are racing for the same club, but still, I recognise that kid's from race skin, race skin, race skin, race skin. So th- that must make you incredibly proud when you see your kit going round um, on the athletes um, and coming across at the finish line, and particularly when it's one of the athletes that you're supporting. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, from small acorns, um, the first first year or two, we just have a few kits going round, and now there's, uh, there's quite a lot of kit out there, yeah. And, you know, I've been abroad and been in – and if ever I'm out racing, I always give people a shout as well. I'm like, uh, you know, if I, if I run past somebody, I don't want to name clubs because then people think – but if, if I was running past somebody with a, a kit on, I'd maybe shout the club name out as I ran past them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, say, go on, give them some encouragement. But I'm, uh, I'm doing that because they're, uh, they're wearing our kit as well. Can you instantly recognise your kit when you see it on something? Do you, do you sort of remember all of the designs that have come through? Or has there ever been an occasion when you've thought, well, that looks like our kit and it's not, it's somebody else's? Uh, yeah, at one point I would have seen all the designs, I suppose, come across my desk. But now, these days, I uh, I, I don't deal with every uh, every piece of kit that comes, uh, you know, that we have designed. So, no, there's quite a lot that... Actually, I see, and I've never seen it before. And I'm like, oh, so it's one of our logos on that. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Or, um, and then other times, I think, oh, that's one of our kits, and I'm like, oh no, it's not. It's got somebody else's logo on. <laughs> it can't be. So um, yeah. And you uh, you do wetsuits, of course. Now, um, now you know it's just it's just some bits of rubber stitched together. But actually, it's not, is it? There's a lot more. There's a lot more design and thought that goes into producing wetsuits, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more of a process. So, sort of, just explain a little bit, if you can, about how you ventured into that 
because uh, I guess it's there's a lot there was a lot of people doing wetsuits already and I guess it's quite risky you know like with anything at least with the kiss custom stuff you're not placing an order until you've got designs in with the wetsuits you've got to get the stock in advance and quite a long way in advance yeah it uh yeah it's a it is a long way in advance uh you know maybe six months sometimes um that you're ordering or um it, it depends on how many orders of factories you've got in but it, you know it you're definitely ordering months and months in advance. So you're ordering for next year and things. Mm. Um, how did I get I suppose I, I've been wearing wetsuits over the years. I wore other people's uh, wetsuits, a number of different brands. And there was elements of different suits that I liked and other bits that I didn't like. And um, I happened to be speaking to uh, another friend of ours, um, Morgan, who uh, runs a lake and saying how much I wanted to get into wetsuits. And he said to me, if we did wetsuits, then he would stock them at his lake. And that was just the nudge that I needed to uh, to think, okay, I'm definitely doing it now. Um, so I sort of worked with the wetsuit factory on trying to develop a wetsuit for maybe not uh, Alistair and Johnny Brownlee at that real top top end where uh, more athletes age group athletes that um it didn't have the shoulder flexibility of um super swimmers and so that was the brief to the factory that we would come up with a wetsuit that was really flexible um and therefore you could get into a better swim position in the world i got frustrated with after a few hundred meters of swimming in a wetsuit feeling like i was restricted and i had a rubber band i wanted to feel in a wetsuit the same way that i feel in a pool and so that was the brief to the wetsuit factory and started testing the wetsuits and then once i felt like we'd nailed it it's like okay we'll go to production with this this suit now having said that since then we've got we do have elite athletes in our wetsuits um now i just had lydia dant at the weekend who won ironman lanzarote come first lady out of the water and um outlaw half that we were both at um abby bedwell she came first lady out of the water there as well and so and, and kit walker had been swimming in our wetsuit and coming out of the water first for a, a number of years and um it it is much it, whilst I tried to come up with a wetsuit for age group athletes, I seem to have come up with one that, um, you know, is, is a good all-round wetsuit. So. Yeah, and of course, if you, you could call your your wetsuit the fastest female wetsuit at Lanzarote, because I, I, I get frustrated when I see adverts that say, oh, this is the fastest wetsuit in the world, but only because it's got the fastest swimmer inside it, you know. I was going to say, you can't put somebody that can't swim um in a wetsuit and then expect them to come out of the water fast they've got to be a fast swimmer in the first place so uh, mm. but lydia set a new pb she wasn't in our wetsuit last year and then wore our wetsuit um this year and set a new pb so i like to think that it's helped her i'm sure she's done uh, it's not that she hasn't done any training all year i'm sure she's worked and worked and worked on her uh, swimming and uh, has developed it but that that wetsuit just um Hope so. It's a bit like everything else, you know. Mm. Let's uh, while we while we wrap up, Carl, because I know you've got you've got to go off and do daddy daddy daycare, pick the pick the children up from school soon. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about you. You and I spend a lot of time talking about um, how to be healthy humans now. But this whole high performance human stuff, we've got some shared interests in um, some of the folks that, that we like to read about and listen to that um, educate us on nutrition and training methods um, and one thing and another. And I, I, and I recognize that that's an approach that we've both changed since we probably first met 20 years ago. Um, how do you try to balance everything now to get your training in um, to make sure you're the best dad for your kids to make sure that you can run your business effectively to, and you know not forgetting to make sure that you're the, the best partner for your wonderful wife Jill what what habits have you taken on and and you know you you were over you were 50 uh, was it last year 50 or the year before this year I wish it was um I'm I'll be 55 this summer it's, oh okay uh, right uh, you just still you're still looking like you're only 50 Cole so <laughs> You mean but, so so clearly you've taken on some good habits there. But what since since you've sort of had to factor in getting old as well or getting older, what what sort of habits have you adopted that are, um, that you're doing now that are things you probably would have just thought that's just hocus pocus a few years ago? When I had a um, coaching plan that I followed, the all of always have been mobility and train, you know, weight training, those sort of things in there. Mm, there would have been, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, if ever I was to push for time, they were the first things out the window. Um, and now they're the first things that I include every day. So I've got a habit now of getting up and doing mobility before I go swimming. Um, and if that means missing some of the swim set, and if you ask any of the people that I swim with, I'm late to swimming every day. And I think they think it's because I lay in bed for another 20 minutes but it's because I'm doing mobility before I get in the pool and that just enables me to get into a better position um I, I suppose I mean these are early swim sets and so I'm getting up early to to do the mobility uh sessions but I, ne- I just never would have done that before I just would have made the swim set and done the the full hour mm. swimming and then tried to squash the mobility in there somewhere else later on in the day and I've learned for me that doesn't work I can't mm. can't squash it in later on either I get it done then first thing in the morning or later on just doesn't happen I have all these great intentions to do it and something else gets in the way and I get home from work and when the kids is upset about something or they're not upset but they want to go and play or um so that um so I do that every day I do strength um work uh most days now um so depending on how I feel I also wear an aura ring so I sort of uh I've been doing heart rate variability for a few years now and I pay attention to what that's telling me um I meditate now all these things that just I never would have done so my habit now in the morning is to go and train and then I drop my daughter at school and then after that I go into the gym and do some mobility more mobility or um strength work and then I come out from there and I go for a walk around the fields um the playing fields and the river there's a river there that I go and have a 10 minute walk in nature which sort of lets my mind just be at peace and I try and stay mindful it all sounds a bit tree huggy and woo woo doesn't it but and then I get back to the van and 
um, I sit in the van and do a 10 minute meditation, like a headspace 10 minute meditation every day. Um, and then I go off to work and I feel ready for work then. And then at the end of the day, I have to pick my daughter back up from school and bring her back to the house and then carry on work or fit some more chip, you know, get on my turbo or uh, fit chaining in there. So, um, yeah, it's very different to how I, before the before the kids, how I would have trained or uh, like a few years ago, how, how I would have trained. Um, all those things that I've just talked about, they were, I wouldn't have even entertained them really. So, but I think as I'm getting older as well, that, uh, um, you know, that they're important. And I don't, I, I don't really get injuries anymore. Having said that, I had a, uh, a knee up a couple of years ago, but um, that's even more why I would do the strength and the mobility um, work to make sure I don't pick up injuries. But um, That was probably historical, Colin, from all those bad habits you had years ago. It just built up and built up and built up until something needed to be done, right? Yep. All those two-hour runs and no no stretching and mobility afterwards and thinking, right. And what about nutrition? I, 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 do you remember I was asking you earlier about um, how focused you were? I remember we went to Antwerp. I don't know what you're going to say, yeah. Do you remember that race? We went to Antwerp and um, you, you did a half-distance race there and uh, I was looking around a, uh, a chocolate shop. They've got some fantastic Belgian chocolate shops there and I bumped into you and Jill and I said, are you getting some to take home, Colin? And you went, no, no, I'm not eating chocolates now. And there, there was like the world's best chocolates on offer in this shop and you didn't want any. I, I don't think that's the Colin that I know now. Uh, no, definitely not, no. But um, you've, you, have made, you have made a lot of changes. I, 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 know, you've, I know you've experimented because we've talked about this, but what are some of the things that have stuck with you with regards to your nutrition? Nutrition-wise, I, I've got a, um, quite a, a healthy diet. I wouldn't deny myself a chocolate I've got to say I eat uh, chocolate virtually every day but it's 85% um, a dark chocolate that I, I eat generally having said <laughs> that just before our podcast I did find one of the kids uh, Easter eggs in the fridge and uh, stick <laughs> stick a bit of that in my mouth before, uh, before we started so I can't say I never have normal chocolate um, but yeah it's a I would sort of say it's a uh, quite a healthy diet of um you know vegetables proteins that sort of uh, thing you know na- food as close to source um you know non-processed food as i can possibly make it but i don't deny myself things where I, at one point i might have done you know and think mm-hmm. oh, i can't eat fish and chips or i can't eat a piece of chocolate or i can't have a glass of wine or you know, it was a period for years that I didn't drink and I didn't eat chocolate. And um, yeah, I think people should see what works for them as well. I think that's either the thing is experimenting with things. And you know, it was a few years ago uh, that I did the whole primal um, eating mm. thing, and I lost about a stone and a half doing it. And I think not eating sugar is a good thing generally. But uh, I wouldn't never deny, you know, deny myself an ice cream or uh, I just think, just don't eat a lot of it. <laughs> don't eat every day, you know. Sometimes yeah. the kids are having pizza and I'm uh, having chicken kebabs and vegetables for tea. And I think, hmm, I'm going to have a piece of that pizza because it looks quite nice. So I do. 
You have to distract them. What's that out the window there, kids? And they're, while they're looking, there's a piece of the pepperoni pizza gone missing. <laughs> oh, Daddy, you always get us with that one. <laughs> if you were if you were talking to your younger self now, what sort of uh, what sort of advice would you give him to the younger Colin? As as sort of, I suppose this is going to be a summary of what we've talked about already, and maybe what you'd say to younger people coming into the sport. But if you were talking to younger Colin McNeil, what what advice would you give? Uh, relax, don't stress much. Um, you know, time. You know, race times are, are, are not the be all and end all. You know, if you want to be in the amount of people that I've seen come into the sport and then they back out of it within a few years. They just like come in in really intense focus and then seem to just disappear. Um, yeah. You know, if you want, if you if you love doing, you know, endurance sports, you know, rather than just saying triathlon because they do long distance biking and, and running and so endurance sports, then, um, you know, you need to not be so anal uh, uh, about everything all the time. There's a, there's a, you know, if you've got a particular race that you want to do in a certain time, that's, that's fine. And that's, uh, that's good. And, and having goals is, is, is good. But, um, yeah, if you, if you like that constantly all year round, Mm. eventually just uh, I I, I found that you know I would um, probably have burnt out like some of the other people well I was going to say you you and I probably know those same people who've come along and been like a a, a bright shining light for for maybe a year or a bit longer but then we we don't see them but equally we we both know people who've been doing this sport for as long as we have who are still going and they have a much more another podcast said to me last week they have extreme moderation in everything they do yeah balance that's what I'd sort of say um, you know find a balance with everything because it's easy to not you know it'd be quite easy to just take advantage of jail and not you know not be a, there for the kids and you know it's, it's about finding a balance so that you know, it's not all about racing and triathlon being trying to be a good dad and trying to run the business effectively and try and enjoy racing and, um, you know, all those things really. So yeah. Spinning the plates. Spinning it out and then where you make mistakes and, you know, trying to, trying to learn from that and, um, take things at work and carry on. That's all I've tried to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, clearly it's working for you at the moment. You definitely don't look 55. So doing a good job. I'm not quite 55 yet. Well, a couple of months. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> they, they all matter when you get to our age, don't they? Every couple of months. It's like when, you, when you're when six and you keep telling people you're six and a half or six and three quarters. You're 54 and three quarters. I honestly don't care anymore. I've stopped, um, I've stopped caring. I don't. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a number you're age, isn't it? I just seem to have more. I seem to have more grey hairs these days. That's all. When I look in the mirror and a few more wrinkles, but I don't. <laughs> I don't feel any different. I'm probably fitter now than I was. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely more fitter now than I was back in uh, in twenties and things. Well, and of course, taking into account everything you just said, fitness isn't just about how fast you're running your five k or what pace you can keep in the pool. Is it? Fitness is a is a holistic thing that talks about, you know, covers everything from how well your relationships are to 
um, how well you're sleeping to how healthy you are to, um, you know, all of that stuff. That's that's fitness, how free of disease you are um, and how happy you are. Um, and it's, yeah, uh, health, you know, I like being healthy. I like feeling healthy, basically. I don't really get colds anymore where back when I was really racing hard and training hard all the time, you're always teetering on the, you know, got mm. quite a lot of colds and um, injuries and um, you're always teetering on the edge. Whereas a sort of, you know, I'd rarely get a cold now. Uh, well, uh, so um, it's just about an all-round balanced health, feeling feeling good. If I want to go out and ride for fifty miles with friends or a hundred, you know, if someone's got a hundred-mile event that they want to do, then I could, you know, I'm fit enough to be able to go and do it. You know, put in the training and go and do that, or I can mm. run around. You know. Kids are running uh, young enough that they want me to run around after them and, and do things, and I'm at 55, I still can do so. Um, Very good. Well, Colin, um, I'm looking at the clock. Time for you to go and do child collection duties. So, thank you for being here today. Um, I, I really appreciate you spending some time and explaining about race skiing. And if, if anybody that's listening is interested in customized club kit for themselves or um, for, for their club, then um, you'll find details of race skin and um, everything else in the show notes. And if you want to follow Colin on Strava or see what he's up to or whatever, um, we'll share those links. And if you're going to an outlaw event soon, then you'll be able to go and say hello personally and have your photograph taken with him. Yeah, please do. I, uh, thanks very much, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Um, hopefully people get something out of uh, you know even if it's one thing that helps uh, someone going into a race or whatever okay thanks Colin it's been great as usual uh, next coffee's on me <laughs> I will do that thank you again to Colin for being on the show today I hope you enjoyed hearing his life journey and please check out the show notes especially if you're interested in race skin custom kit for your own personal needs or for your cycling or triathlon club and you'll be able to find links for that and all the other things we discussed in the show notes to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes in the future please go to itunes search for high performance human triathlon podcast and then click subscribe and if you have time while you're there i'd really appreciate it if you can leave me a review about the podcast and you'll find a link for that in the show notes as well now in the introduction i mentioned we've created a membership program and how that allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs. And that means also we won't need to have any ads on the show. And if you're a member of my SWAT group, it's my goal to ensure that you and all other members get back way more than the price of the subscription. And so the membership benefits include things like access to a growing library of training plans for endurance events, as well as focused programs that will help you build strength, mobility or improve your FTP on the bike or CSS pace in the pool. We have monthly exclusive workshops for members, free access to educational workshops and discounts on partner products, all of which I use myself and the founders of whom I just really enjoy working with. If you want to learn more about this or access our member-only benefits, please visit my website simonward.co.uk and then click on the Work With Me link. If you're on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube as the Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And that's it. Thank you for being here again, as always. I'll see you on the next episode.